Hello, and welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. This is John Schneider with Brian Manning, our, my co-host. How you doing, Brian? I'm good, John. How about you tonight? Oh, not too bad. It's Friday night for us to do our recording session. So, But tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this, this is uh, a series of three podcasts that we're going to do, and we're going to talk about what is the most difficult mission and the primary mission of every head football coach in college football. Well, every every coach in college football, and that's finding players because of the four-year turnover or you redshirt five-year turnover or less if people get drafted. Recruiting is it. If you can't recruit, you can't find the players, you can't find the personnel to staff your 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 system, then you're going to lose. And it's just that it's hand and fist. So today at this show, we're going to talk about the past and past recruiting is the uh, uh, is the kind of bailiwick of Joshua Schneider, my son. Uh, who spent a lot of time writing for the site on the recruiting issues. And right now, before any anybody really needs to jump on what's going on in recruiting, let's talk a little bit about what happened in the past. Josh, you've got uh, some observations there. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm Joshua Schneider. I'm a former writer for Gobbler Country and now occasional podcast guest when the uh, Dad thinks I might have something that's actually worth inputting on anymore. Um, but the the whole point of this podcast series is trying to get Virginia Tech fans to understand how recruiting works and Virginia Tech's particular history in recruiting because there is a lot of either maybe not necessarily misinformation, but there is a misunderstanding of how the system works in terms of what uh, Virginia Tech fans expect out of their program, especially due to how things have changed over time and the ebb and flow of Virginia Tech's fortunes in that regard. So we're going to go over just some generic trends and some things we've, that I've kept track of and noticed over time and some of the typical Virginia Tech fan assumptions about recruiting or questions that they ask. So... Um, if you want to fire away, Dad, uh, kind of what you want me to go over, we we'll, we'll can run through well, that. Well, uh, and, and remember, Brian's out there too. We want Brian to chime in that, that and, and ask what questions he's got. Um, first thing is, talk to me about the when our recruiting actually started to slack off. We used to get really good team, especially we, we were the top of the heap. Everybody wanted to play for Tech from the 757, the old 804, when I used to live there. The 757 was a recruiting territory, a prime meet. Uh, now we can't buy a recruit from the 757. So what, what's the, you know, what's, going, what's the history? When did this start to change? Um, really, honestly, it started to change when Virginia Tech started to succeed. Let's 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 put it this way. Everyone that was a big traditional power noticed that Frank Beamer was getting these kids out of this region that was 
previously under-recruited, and everyone else moved in. That's the biggest thing that really happened is you have all these big-time people that came out of that area like Michael Vick, Marcus Vick, um, Cam Chancellor. You get all those big-time, super successful Virginia Beach players. They all of a sudden showed up on a radar and – Let's face it, Virginia Tech, in terms of what it can offer in many different ways, is not nearly what Alabama, Florida, LSU, Florida State, and really, honestly, some of the, the, the bigger programs that are poaching in that area are often the, the SEC schools and the ACC schools that have more traditional pull or strength or funding than Virginia Tech does. So part of the reason and another reason why that that particular area of the state isn't as quote unquote technically loyal is that there are a lot of kids that come in from that area that are from other parts of the state. And I can attest to that personally. A lot of the kids are military kids or government kids. Their parents move in and move out or they're contract kids uh, where they work in the shipyards or in the in, in you know they're contractors or people that work in the navy, navy yards, uh, the navy shipyards or the or or they they work for the ports and they get moved around they get transferred so the kids come in and out and and that 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 is a, a definite uh, happenstance. I mean Andrew Matua Puaka, for example, he was a, he's an army brat. He was his father was in the army. So, but, and and there are other longer travails of background stories about Virginia Tech coaches getting into, uh, and this is, some of this is hearsay and some of this is, you know, long running old standing things. Virginia Tech coaches got into a big row with a particular seven on seven team down there called the Thoroughbreds or they ran a youth football program and it got pretty bad where a lot of the kids that went through that program were advised against going to Virginia tech for various different reasons. And this is, again, this is somewhat hearsay. So let's put an asterisk on all this, but a lot of what recruiting is, is who is around said players and what they are promised or could be promised. And okay, hey Brian, you got anything? I mean, you know, your 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 brother played for Tech and was around in, in the, around in the in that recruiting era. Um, maybe we should have called him and had him chime in to see how it was for him in his era. But but what was the you know what are you what are you hearing on your end? Uh, just to piggyback off some of the things Josh said around this. The, around 2004, 2005, 2006 is when things died off. And I think the first major player from that region, this is the one that comes to mind to me that left and it just snowballed after that was Percy Harvin. Once he went to Florida, I think that changed everything. And, and, you know, there's multiple reasons like both you guys have covered about why guys don't feel loyal to Virginia tech and, one of that's the location. It's several hours away. Some of the other schools in the region are just as far, if not close, just as close. And and you mentioned the uh, the thoroughbreds. That was a big issue. I think Mike London got in good with those guys for a year or two, and it didn't didn't do him too good. But it did hurt Virginia Tech with with all with some of those guys who 
never chose to come to the Hokies, at least the higher rated guys. What I want to do is bridge off of that. Let's let's take a look. Okay, so we fell off. We started to really fall off by 2008. We were hurting. Not we, as we, bad as the coverage was starting at to get there. In terms of, at least in terms of what our, and I usually go by the 24/7 composite. Our ranking in the the late 2000s was still in, you know, top 20, top 25. Which honestly, yeah. But how many of them stand out? How, and, how many of and them that's actually where, and that's where we'll out. get into and that's where we'll get into next is that you know recruiting rankings matter until they don't <laughs> and you know you talk about all these big high-end programs that get a lot of these high star recruits and you have a lot of Virginia Tech fans because of the fortunes of programs like Miami who was always ranked above us in recruiting and how they never really got out of their own way that are super cautious of recruiting rankings and just kind of like laugh and say, Hey, we beat those guys for so long with our quote unquote lower ranked recruits. And it's like, guys, just because they misuse what talent that they get or they're misranked doesn't mean that overall the blue chip ratio doesn't matter. Like it's, you're taking the wrong lesson out of that. Yeah. We we've had a history of these wonderful walk-ons and these, and these guys that have earned scholarships in their sophomore year or, uh, you know, sweated through being on the practice squad. And, I mean, there are quite a few guys that come to mind, one of which was was Sam Rogers. Uh, but that, that those are the exceptions. Those aren't the rule. Those kind of kids aren't, aren't the rule. They're the exception. Now, it's an interesting thing that we have those exceptions and we have a fairly high number of them, but it's still, you can't run a top 10 program on exceptions. Nope. So um, let's, let's take a look. The, I, I don't have, I used to have this impressive list of all of the recruiting uh, stub ups that happened, the, the guys that were really promising, heavily recruited and just faded into nothingness. And I think people really need to remember some of them before they start jumping on the bandwagon of, well, we're not, you know, we've in the fourth year of our recruiting and, and, and Fuente needs to be like pulling in five-star recruits. And I'm still trying to figure out where he's going to get them, but you know, the, I don't think any, any logical, I, I know there's the idiots out there who, who come out there and think we should be getting, those guys Alabama get every year, but I don't think any logical fan thinks we're going to get five-star recruits, but there are exceptions that think that, but I think most, most don't, don't even believe that. I think it's just a, it's a very vocal, very unrealistic minority. Yeah. And the, and the unrealistic minority kind of speaks kind of their voices are seem, seem to be heard more than, than the logical fans who understand the limitations of the, of the program. And next segment, we'll start getting into, okay, here are some of the reasons why Virginia tech has gone downhill and we'll get into reasons why when we've had highly ranked recruiting classes, there have been some very specific failures and flub ups and misses that have really brought the program down. Yeah. And, and so like 
we said at the beginning of this, this is going to be a stand. Each of these podcasts that we're going to do are going to be standalone so that you can listen to them beginning and end. So what we got is to end this one, what we have this segment is we have a situation where we know the recruiting started to fall off in the mid 2000s. And there were a number of different reasons, but one of the most significant reasons was the 1995 to 2005 successes with all these kids bubbling up from a strange part of the world that nobody thought of as far as being attractive and Taj Boyd goes to Clemson. And of course, Taj Boyd went to Clemson and then Tyrod came here. But, you know, there was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of issues with, with that sort of cross cross boundary recruiting. And now we have a situation where, uh, Justin Fuente seems to be going where he can. I mean, he's making all these offers to these to these recruits, uh, and, and you see the I got an offer from Virginia Tech tweets out, but then it d- evaporates; you, they disappear. So, um, in the effort to make this a nice, neat package, well, we're going to wrap it up uh, for right now and look at where we're going and how we're going to do this, and, and how we're going to end up improving and where we think we are. So um, we'll be back after after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, we're back. Um, This is the pickup where we left off moment. And where we left off was where, where are we now? What are the, where are we now? What happened? What were the, Josh, you brought up in the last segment, what were the big, the hits that we took, what the recruiting program took that really affected recruiting? It's a, it's a self-reinforcing feedback loop. So, so what you give us your impression of, of where you think things got off the rails. The thing, things started really getting off the rails when, Frank Beamer stopped visiting recruits and started disconnecting with the process and not putting in as much effort as is needed. Your job, you have two jobs as a college coach. 1A is win games. 1A plus is recruiting. And if you're going to completely fall down and not make, you know, put in the 100% effort that's required to stay on top of a bunch of squirrely 14 to 18 year old kids, then your program's going to start suffering. And the first the first big recruiting failure that I can think of in terms of strategic recruiting is the complete inability of the program to recruit a quarterback so that Logan Thomas did not end up being a quarterback for the Hokies. Yeah, that was bad. And I, and I okay, I'm not patting myself on the back, but after that first 2011 season which I considered a total miracle and everybody figured him out. 
I knew it was going to be bad from then on. Logan Thomas has turned into a very respectable tight end in the NFL. That's all I got to say about that. Well, here's the other thing beyond that. That year, he still had, around him, he still had NFL talent in 2011. Danny Cole was drafted. He ended up being hurt the entire time he was in the NFL. So he ended up not really going anywhere or doing anything. He's actually now Tunch Ilkin's son-in-law, if anyone here is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. He he also had Jared Boykin, who, while undrafted, still had at least a little stint in the NFL. David Wilson, who was a first-round draft pick and really was playing like it until he had a really bad neck-slash-spinal injury that forced him to retire. But after that, you had Marcus Davis, who was super athletic, but wouldn't run block and help out the offense on the perimeter. Corey Fuller, who he only had for one year. And unfortunately, it was less, it was, he ended up going into the NFL, but, you know, small time wide receiver that's like third or fourth string on the Lions, really not going to get much of a chance. He had a couple of moments, but nothing huge. But beyond that, you look down the list, he didn't have much around him to support himself. And we're still, we were still running Frank Beamer's very high school pedestrian offense. If I had to hear, you know, if you're, if you pay attention to the NFL draft stuff, and that's the next thing that we, that's another thing that we really need to talk about is how Virginia Tech's failure to adapt to what the NFL wants because it's been stuck in its own systemic cycle and fitting players into the system that the coaches think is going to succeed really stubs Virginia Tech's toe in terms of being one of the teams that will frequently get players drafted into the NFL. And it's not to say that we don't have our successes, because we do, but it's less for what they do on the field and more for what tools that they have. So, Brian, if you want to continue with uh, the discussion about what you've kind of seen since, you know, the Logan Thomas era and how that started off, uh, go right ahead. Yeah, I'm looking – I'm thinking about that 2011 team, and you mentioned all the skill position guys we had. Here's who we had at quarterback that year. If this tells you why we had to play Logan Thomas, we had Mark Leal, Juju Clayton. Those those were the other quarterbacks on the roster. that And that was, that was a huge reason Logan had to stay at the position because I guess once Frank saw – once Frank saw he had his quarterback, instead of realizing that wasn't his best position, he didn't care, he didn't – didn't hit the recruiting trail hard for the for the quarterback. And you mentioned how Frank just kind of rested on his laurels when he got in the 2000s. And he was just used to winning 10 wins, 10 wins every year. Didn't care if they ever got any further. As long as he got those magical 10 wins, everything was perfect. They didn't really capitalize on the on the success of that 99 team. I don't think that well, like they could have, but as far as Beamer, you know, and I think this is goes to the defensive recruiting. We've seen, I can think of so many misses on the defensive side of the ball in the last 10 years recruiting wise. And that's because of we, I don't think we've had a defensive, we've got a defensive coordinator who, who's successful, charismatic can get the job done, but lazy as far as getting on the road because Beamer Beamer didn't hold him accountable. And that, that killed the def, that's killed the defensive recruiting inside, not so much the secondary, but I think the defensive line, we've seen the struggles along the defensive line getting, getting good guys, and, and you don't think other schools are telling those kids, hey, look, those, Virginia Tech never gets a lineman hardly in the NFL, and 
and you know, I think Tim Settle was an was an exception due to his grades more than 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 a, the norm. Yeah, Tim Settle got basically got into Virginia Tech is because they stuck with him through some academic problems that he ended up being a a late qualifier that managed to sneak on through, and he ended up being super disruptive. But if you're thinking about the the players that Virginia Tech has had on that defensive line, and this is one of the places where our recruiting has kind of failed, as Brian has mentioned, you know, Woody Barron was a undersized defensive tackle that was a lightly recruited player. Well, he's playing for the CFL now. I think he's he might even not even be playing for the CFL now. And and, and here's the thing: this is not a, this is not a smack against the CFL. This is not a smack against Woody Barron. Most recruits do not care if you get kids into the CFL. No, let's let's just let's just be blunt and honest. It's like yes, it's professional football. It's not the NFL. It isn't. Um, but here's like I'm looking right now. Here's the 2011 recruiting class. National rank 35, which is low. Of these players, Chris Harley never really. Uh, I think he got into the school and either transferred out or left. And he was like the the highly rated one, and he could never could never crack the rotation. Yep, Kaishon Jarrett ended up doing really well. Um, he was a useful and productive safety, but defensive backs really have never been Virginia Tech's problem. Corey Marshall was a defensive end at two thirty nine when he came into high school and uh, out of high school and into college, and he ended up being a useful defensive tackle. But again, now we're talking about the the next problem that Virginia Tech has had, and that's the inability to recruit people of consistent size, and they're always having to size up players to 280, 290 from sitting around at 220, 230. And believe me, there's a certain amount of stuff that you can do in order to bulk up when you're going to a a semi-professional weightlifting program and exercise program and dietary program, but you're dealing with the not right body types that are going to then further your program's cause by getting these kids into the NFL. And honestly, that's part of the, that ontological inertia that, you know, your, your program, it's a self-reinforcing cycle. The more kids you get into the NFL, typically, the better recruits that you get because you're getting more kids in the NFL, which makes it easier to get kids in the NFL. And that's why you've got a team like Alabama that can churn through besides the winning, which, you know, Saban is a really great college coach. And believe me, coaching is a big part of all of this. So I'm not discounting coaching at all because you can see you've got teams like Miami and Texas and, and that lagged through the turn of the decade and are still lagging behind outside of Texas finally getting up there because Herman's actually a good coach. But once the coaching goes downhill, you're burning talent or you're misidentifying talent that you early recruited and stuck with. But, you know, as you go on, that 35-ranked class in 2011, Harley was a miss. Jarrett was a hit. Marshall was a partial hit. Van Dyke was injured. Boye Aramire didn't really do anything. James Farrow transferred away. Matt Roth did nothing. Christian Reeves did nothing. Jake Goings didn't do anything. Do you, like, I'm going through an entire recruiting class where the best players are Matt Ryan Malik, Luther Maddy, and 
uh, Wedley Esteem, who later became uh, and and Brian, Jason, please fill me in. My brain. Yeah, you're right, Daddy Nicholas, and Daddy, those guys yeah. are all the way at the bottom of the list. So you're talking about outside of Kaishan Jarrett and those other players that I've already listed. That is an entire recruiting class of 19 kids, of which four or five of them became useful. And Maddie was like a two-star, very low, very lowly. I think that was one of those things where Maddie and and uh, Maddie and Daddy were super low, bottom of the barrel rated players that ended up being way better than their rankings were. It and, happens. It's just that the probability on that is lower. Yeah, you can't rely on that every single year. And to speak to Josh's point earlier, Maddie yeah. came, Maddie came to Virginia Tech. I mean, sorry, Daddy Nicholas came to Virginia Tech at two hundred and fifteen pounds. Yeah, he was basically a small linebacker slash uh, out in a, maybe a strong at best a, a, a free safety. But as here's the thing: they ended up having to turn him into a defensive end, and by the tail end of his by the tail end of his career here, he was all the way back down to two thirty and not doing as well as he had the years previous when he had bulked up. And then it, it takes, it takes a lot of effort to stay bulked up and in shape. Oh, of course you I mean, see all the pic, you see all the pictures of all those NFL guys. Like if you remember uh, Nick Hardwick, the former center for the chargers pictures yeah, he, of him after he retired are crazy. Seeing what Jeff Saturday looked like, or Joe Thomas even looked like after the fact those guys have to hold on so much weight that it's it's ridiculous. But the point the point being that here I'm going to go through the next class. Here's the 2012 class, rated 21st, which is pretty good. That's that's toward the ceiling of what Virginia Tech can be because I can go down the list of colleges right now and people that tell me that Virginia Tech should be in the top 15 in recruiting, I can give you off the top of my head probably 15, almost 20 programs that should be better than Virginia Tech just based on history, geography, um, the potential for malfeasance, um, which I don't want to th- – I can't directly accuse anyone of that. But well, Let's get back to that class. I know. Well, you- let's get back to that class. 21st, Joel Caleb, super highly rated, super highly sought after. Ended up switching position multiple different times, never found a spot, did nothing. Kenneth Canem became a really good player by his junior slash senior year. J.C. Coleman was a four-star. And while J.C. Coleman is Mr. Hokey, and I'd never doubt his heart, he never ended up panning out to be the four-star full-time running back. But he's also a scat back. He's an all-purpose back. He was 5'6 coming out of high school. Durante Jones ended up transferring to Georgia. Donovan Manning ended up transferring out of the program. Trey Edmonds was recruited as a linebacker, ended up having to play running back because we couldn't get a running back to stick at that position. That's the biggest shame right there. I think he could have been special as a linebacker. Deion Clark. I remember the times that we had Deion Clark in at linebacker. Bud Foster was infuriated at how uh, inconsistent he was. Devin Van Dyke. Ended up, he was a high three-star, didn't do anything. Durian Green didn't end up doing much. Doing much. Chris Mangus transferred out. Dakota Jackson transferred out. Nigel Williams, Woody Barron actually did some useful things, so we're not going to knock those two. But that's, okay, three maybe. 
four maybe players in this entire recruiting class of 28 enrollees. So Edmonds, Canem, some from Coleman, some from Williams and Barron. So that's five. Desmond Fry was useful as a backup. Brendan Motley was probably better than anyone ever gave him the gave him the Yeah, he, he had some stones. Than, he was never going to be the starter, but man, he had some heart. He worked his butt off. He had some heart. And he was recruited no. as an athlete. And and he was a quarterback in high school, but he was an option quarterback sought after by Georgia Tech during the Paul Johnson era. Like that was his choice between being yeah. an option quarterback. Now he's a local grew up in Christiansburg and everything. So he stuck by the, the area, but beyond that, Davion Tukes did nothing. Mark Eirich did nothing. Augie Connie, who was a, one of the lower recruited guys ended up being fairly useful, started for us for a couple of years, but Jack Willenbrock never developed. Donovan Riley had some good moments, but you know, it, it wasn't, he was not a full-time starter. And again, lower recruited guy, Alston Smith, son of Bruce Smith, never ended up starting or anything like that. Seth Thule, Adam Tarashki, Joshua Stanford. Stanford had one or two moments, but ended up transferring away in a Huff. Huff, excuse me. He was a, he had, he had, there were some attitude issues with him, right? Stanford. Yeah, as far as I, uh, as I remember hearing. Then, oh boy, hey. <laughs> Do any of you remember the name Drew Harris? I did, the running back from Pennsylvania. Yeah, and that whole saga. Yeah, that that was he was supposed to be the next great running back, and then every year we were wondering when he was going to enroll because of various different uh, yeah. eligibility things. Ended up at like UMass, I think. Yeah, he just, he just never. Yeah, and so what we got is for our for our second little segment here, what we've got is a a failure to click, and a history that most Hokie fans are not really aware of. They don't really think about this. So the next show and the next segment of the, of this particular show is going to concentrate on some of the things that we might see a little bit better where we are now, where it really needs to go. I mean, Brian's got some opinions on that. I know Josh has got some opinions on it, but at this point, this uh, recruiting is is becoming it, it it's becoming not an issue, a new issue. It's becoming blatantly apparent that it was an old issue that is now just starting to get sorted out. Well, so we're also going to go with the 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 weird narrative that has developed in this past year, and kind of explain why Virginia Tech recruiting is where it is this year, which is not good. But the past two years we have seen a lot of very productive, very important players that are currently doing very well on our team come in. So okay. I want to also kind of dispel the well, gonna... narrative that Fuente can't recruit. Yes, and we need to do that. So for for now, we we're, we're going to leave you with what we've given you, and we'll be back after in the next break. So please come back to us. Hello again. And welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. This is John Schneider flying solo with my guest, Joshua Schneider. And we're talking uh, the last segment of our recruiting show. And this particular issue's um, 
I'm going to kind of leave up to Josh because we've got a couple of things that, that uh, we want to go over and he wants to lead on this one because things aren't, are in a strange way. Now they look like they're getting better and he's got some observations on that. So, Hey Josh, I'm turning it over. Go ahead. All right. Well, everybody, um, the right now we're, we're fighting with a couple of different, issues that are going on number one this year's current recruiting class is not good at least in terms of what overall ranking it is we're 14th in the acc we're 73rd in the nation we're way down the list part of it is because the volume is super low because hey we only have maybe 10 11 scholarships to give because of how few graduating seniors we've got some of that has to do with the fact that we just don't have that many seniors anymore because of the transfer portal and various other things. But some of the past classes, the past two classes have had 26 and 22 enrollees. So right now, filtering through the program is a lot of depth and changes and youth that we haven't we haven't even begun to crack the entire youth of the program. Right now, we're sitting at, I think, somewhere around the third or fourth youngest program in the entire NCAA. And I was, Josh, I was looking at the roster, looking at what we have uh, in prep for several games. And I started to realize I'm going to see these names, almost all of these names next year and probably the year after. We've got two years of pretty much the same roster unless some of these kids break out early for whatever reason. Well, let's let's go on down the list. So Justin Fuente, this is this will be Justin Fuente's fourth class and real uh, well, four and a half classes because he was hired during the 2016 football recruiting class. And the, the almost the entirety of that class, which was kind of a disappointment at 42 rank and eighth in the ACC, which was only 22 enrollees. Almost that entire class was recruited by Frank Beamer and partially rescued by Justin Fuente. Of that class, some of those names are big that you hear about a lot. Divine Diablo, Khalil Ladler, Reggie Floyd. But below that, you go down that list, there's a lot of kids that left or never really developed in that program, and those are kids personally selected by Frank Beamer. Jackson left. Um, Kuma ended up leaving, and he's not doing much at ODU. Phil Patterson's never really developed. Javon Keelan's been a rotational defensive back that's been partially useful. Samuel Denmark never really saw the field. He ended up playing track for Virginia Tech for a long time and then leaving the program. Dimitri Moore was one of the few kids that Fuente had to bring in because that year we were dealing with offensive tackle depth and offensive line depth problems. He ended up not being seeing the field, but he was a depth and he was a depth player on the offensive line. Jimmy Taylor's ended up leaving. Thomas Hopple ended up leaving. Tyree Rogers has been a rotational guy. Tavante Beckett has his own crazy story that I don't really want to get into right now. Emmanuel Belmar, way on down the list, has been one of the more useful players in that entire recruiting class. Patrick Kearns ended up leaving. Henry Murphy had was another late bring-in that Fuente grabbed, and he had a couple of useful catches. We'll see about how that goes. Jared Hewitt was a late was a late ad by Beamer's staff and some by Fuente. 
Clay Dean is a weird recruiting story. TJ Jackson was identified by Vance Vice late in the cycle and might, were it not for injury, would be starting right now. Aaron Carter left. Silas Zanzi was a find by Vice and Fuente staff. But so many of these kids in that last class that Beamer recruited filtered out of the program. First real class that Fuente had, national rank 26, which is, you know, low to mid where Virginia Tech would probably be. Devon Hunter has had issues kind of filling in, but he just got the the 25 this this year, and he's behind Diablo and um, honestly Floyd for where he needs to be at Rover. Floyd being a senior and everything, one of the few seniors we have. Proctor ended up transferring away, but he was a four-star recruit that we couldn't develop. He was an outside linebacker that we put down a defensive end and couldn't develop. Dylan Rivers ended up getting passed on the depth chart. Tywin Garbett looks like he might end up being good. Unfortunately, he's been hurt a little bit. And in Hooker, who is currently our starting quarterback, we'll see how that goes over the period of time. He had a good starting game against Miami. But Caleb Farley's a starting cornerback. He's only a redshirt sophomore right now, really. Drake uh, Lewis hasn't really played that much. Dalton Keene, who I think everyone thinks is a pretty good tight end and H-back. Sean Savoy, who ended up having uh, some family issues that required him to move back to Maryland, even though he hasn't really... He he hasn't really bloomed up there that I've he seen. got dropped on the Jep chart because he got over-recruited, which, frankly, with a mid-three-star like he is, you want to over-recruit that kind of player. You want to beat him out just in terms of strategic thinking. This is not a knock on the person. This is not a knock on the player. This is, as a football team, you want the best and most talented players that you can get. And theoretically, a four-star wide receiver like Tadion Robinson is a better option than Sean Savoy is, in theory, if the rankings hold true. Robert Porsche is a useful rotational defensive tackle right now. Jalen Holston... Mid three-star running back hasn't really developed a lot. Hezekiah Grimsley, solid find. Mid three-star. Silas Zanzi, after his FUMA year. Guess what? He's a starting tackle right now. Khalil Pimpleton hasn't done, uh, didn't do anything. He ended up transferring into Central Michigan. Andre Kearney ended up uh, transferring away after some depth chart nonsense. Rayshard Ashby, starting middle linebacker. Good find. Zion DeBose ended up having to leave the program. Bryce Watts ended up leaving the program because he got over-recruited and passed on the depth chart. Lesson Smith, starting guard. Jalen Griffin might end up being a useful defensive tackle, defensive end right now for us. Devontae Smith had injury problems and never really developed. Aiden Brown um, is, I think, in the defensive line rotation right now, or at least that's what he was training for, but that's still in process. But beyond that, Terrius Wheatley's useful. A.J. Bush was a bring-in because they needed quarterback depth, but they also got Christian Derisaw and Oscar Bradburn. Right now we're looking at, hey, the vast majority of this class is actually playing or useful, which is way better than the past, yes, I mean, that, past classes that, that Frank that, that's, the, that's what I've been trying to wave my arms in the air at for the last day, people who've been complaining. Guys, 
Fuente's actually making a difference. His 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 he's developing the players that he's recruiting. Or at least he's we're, starting we're, the players that he's recruiting. He's using the players yeah. that he's recruiting. He's not losing them to attrition as much as you think instantly. There are people that leave, yes, but it's because they're doing normal football things like getting passed on the depth chart, having injury issues, having to leave the program for personal issues. Like, if you look at all the people that have left the program and just take them one by one, let's not do it as a greater narrative of people leaving. Let's do it as an individual one-by-one basis. And you start seeing, well, that guy got passed. Well, that guy got passed. And that happens. Let's yeah, they don't want to. They don't want to hang around. There, there, there's a lot of academic pressure in Virginia Tech. It still is a school that wants you to make grades. You don't get to slide by. You don't get fake classes. These guys actually have to go to school and take classes, and they have to pass. Well, and, and here's they, the thing: so it, that class is all redshirt sophomores right now, or juniors because they didn't redshirt. You know, or or the red shirt. Some of them, I think, might be juniors. There's a lot of red shirt freshmen, and hey, they're starting two true freshmen at the offensive line. You well, got to hand it to Vice. He's got two and, true freshmen starting in the offensive line. And here's the thing: those two true freshmen came in at a very highly ranked class for a class so small. We were third in the ACC last year with that class, which yeah. is kind of crazy. And here's the thing. You're talking about people that are actually highly recruited. Doug Nestor and Brian Hudson were both chased by large programs. Doug Nestor was committed to Ohio State for a long time and decided he wanted to stay closer to home in West Virginia. Guess what? He's got a, he's a freshman. Do you know how long offensive linemen take to develop? Now, look, I know that the, the counter argument is like, well, he's had four years. He should be over this. Guess what? A lot of the players that were there when he when he got here are gone, and a lot of those early players that Beamer recruited left and weren't that useful. So you're dealing with a young program even still. And look, a lot of people don't want to hear that it's not an excuse. I, I'm sorry. I don't know if you understand how football really works. It's physics. I keep trying to tell people. It's the moon. It, it, it orbits the earth. At a mean distance, and it's there, and it's slowly moving away a few centimeters. We are even. not Alabama it's who can there. throw a five-star or a high four-star quarterback out there like Tua Tungvaloa or Jerry Judy and expect them to immediately be one of the best people in the nation. Virginia yeah. Tech Oh, oh by, the, by the way, Tua is, is from my dad's old high school, which is St. Louis College slash St. Louis High School. Uh, in Honolulu, Hawaii, that's that's the kind of recruiting that Alabama gets. Yeah, they go across the country and everything. the The point is that Virginia Tech is going to have a smaller footprint. It's going to have to make its hay developing what talent it does get, and we've been getting some talent. You see flashes of it now with even this freshman class. Keyshawn King has shown flashes. Tavion Robinson in two or three years, is going to be one of the better slot receivers in the entire country. Guess what? That's two or three years down the line. He's a a complete freshman right now. You're dealing with super young players, and the solution has been getting younger and younger and younger. So 
right now, and this is probably why, and honestly, thinking about it strategically, this is why Fuente's agent probably got him such a buyout because they, I am betting dollars to donuts. If Fuente knows what he's thinking and doing, he looked at his depth chart two years ago and said, Oh boy, this is going to get rough. They're yeah. going to hate me here because I'm dealing with a bunch of kids that aren't physically up to speed with a junior and senior laden lineup that they're going to be going up against every week. No, he, he, he could tell. Be... He knew. He knew. He knew. Look, you don't go and, and lay it on the table, that big buyout on the table with this small a school. And I'm sorry, Tech is a small program compared to a lot of these other programs. I mean, we we're in we're like 50 in revenue, 47 or something. We actually dropped in revenue last year from 44 to, to lower. So this this is not a big, it's not tiny, but it is not a big school revenue wise. And for a coach to have the cheek to say, I want a $15 million buyout, he knew it was going on. He's not stupid. I don't think that Fuente ever forgot how to coach. I think that Fuente can't recruit, but right now you're looking at a small class that he's flailing to complete right now because, number one, our depth is – we've got depth. It's just all super young, and there's not going to be a lot of starting spots to hand out, and that's one of the things that a lot of these highly recruited players are going to want is they're going to want the ability to start yeah, so four-star isn't going to want to hear, oh, we're going to put you on a red shirt, and we're going to bulk you up, and we're going to work you out. Clemson's level and winning championships. You can accept riding the pine if it's going to be, I'm going to wait here three or four years, finally get my chance to start, and then get drafted in the in somewhere between the fourth and the first round, and probably have a couple rings on my finger. Right now, Virginia Tech is dealing with, the the PR disaster that was the actual narrative that came out. Because, again, I don't want to discount the narrative for factual reasons, but what sells right now is the narrative reason. And the narrative reasoning behind this entire thing is that, hey, look, Fuente can't get his act together. Hey, look, they've been stinking and they barely got to a bowl game and they lost in the bowl game and at six and seven and now he's only got, you know, 12, 13 spots to hand out next year. And what are you going to do? Sit behind someone on some flailing team? I know how the negative recruiting is going to be pitched. I know how that goes. Oh, on well, top sure. of that, you know, you're dealing with, um, in terms of Virginia recruits this year, Virginia, the state of Virginia recruiting, you have one five-star running back, which – Fuente hasn't had a successful running back in a while. That's what it's going to be. You've got a high four, high five-star linebacker going to LSU. Better program. Sells to the NFL better. Antoine Powell, defensive end from um, from Portsmouth, Virginia. Going to an SEC program that sell, sends first-round draft picks to the NFL frequently in Florida. Keandre Lambert's a wide receiver going, and he's – He's the one that quote unquote hurts because he's the nephew of Cam Chancellor. He's going to Penn State. Penn State is a school that is run by a different coach that has a higher ceiling. That's going to be it's it's one of the higher revenue earners in NCAA. It's much more visible. 
that's what it's going to be. That's what they're losing out to right now. The one, the one crazy thing is TCU coming in and grabbing a couple of kids, but you know, overall this year, the recruits in Virginia are going to bigger programs that have more visibility and have a better shot at getting people drafted in the NFL. And that's the, that's where we need to wrap this up. Where we need to wrap this up is, guys, recruiting is really, really tough. You've seen over the last three segments and this last longer one that there are being good turns being made. We're actually making progress. It's going to be slow and it's going to be difficult because of where we are and what we have available to hand out. And the ultimate issue is we're Virginia Tech. We're going to kids who have a lot of options and face it, high school football players are not drafted. They're not allocated around to different schools. They're all free agents and they can choose to go where they want to go where they think it's going to be better for them to go or where they think we won't talk about any other particular reasons because those, those other particular reasons are talked about ad nauseum and in, in other circles. Why, so read, read, uh, read as the uh, banner society article on bag men. Yes. It's an old article and it's been around for a while I'm not going to read uh, Illegal Procedure by Josh Lukes. You can see, you know, a lot of these kids are scouted out since freshman year by agents and by... Not, not just freshman year. There have been uh, kids that have uh, identified in eighth grade and seventh grade football programs and even flag football programs. Let's put it this way. If Virginia Tech cheats, and I'm not saying that we do or don't because I do not know, if Virginia check cheats and maybe, it, and it's not necessarily even the university because the big key is, is that you've got to do this all behind the scenes where there's a ton of plausible deniability and you can't get traced to anyone in the actual athletic department or boost booster club. If Virginia tech fans cheat, they ain't doing it well enough. Well, we aren't going to go there and speculate there too much other than the, the ha-ha that it could be, it you know, um, good night to everybody or good evening or good afternoon or good morning whenever you're listening and ask you to please pick up the next time. Go Hokies. <laughs>